to him Isaac. Would you please be seated? Let's start out this evening by asking this question. Do you have one of these? If you don't have one of these, if you'll raise your hand, we will make sure that you get one of these. Going once, going twice. All right, one for Mr. Jim Pate. I will not give you mine because I need to read it, but we will get you one. There is one coming right for you. Um, this is going to be on the heels of our uh, Bible study challenge. Our Bible study challenge had us looking through the Bible and studying through those words and uh, either acquainting ourselves first or reacquainting ourselves with over 500 different ideas and accounts found within that book. As we study on, and on the Sunday nights that you study with me, until we get all 66 of them done, we're going to study each book and how it works together with those 500 lessons that we've either acquainted or reacquainted ourselves with. How do all those things work together? You'll get a next week or the week after, whenever the next time it is I'm up here, you'll get simply a piece of paper. You can add that to the back of your folder. By the time you end this particular folder, you'll have one page outline of every book, and for most every other book, you'll have a supplemental page. It will teach us about that scarlet thread of redemption, because the entire point of the Bible is God redeeming us. We'll see how those things unfold throughout the Bible. We'll see how it works and why it works. We used to be known, we as the church, uh, as walking and talking Bibles. That is, we could dissect any particular section of Scripture anyone wanted to speak about, and we could point them in the direction of Jesus the Christ. And the reason is because we understood how the books worked together. It would be impossible for us to complete the task given to us by God in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15 to study to show ourselves approved a workman of God that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth or handling aright or knowing how to break that word down and teach the gospel even from Genesis without knowing how those books work together. And so, open your your folder, and let's look at this particular page. You should have a page that looks identical to this one. It says Genesis on it. That's how you know you're at the beginning, because the word Genesis means beginning. The key verses in this book, if you have to assign them, are Genesis 1, 1, and 26 and 27. The key phrase, in the beginning God, the key chapters would have to be chapters 1 and 2, that sets the tone for the entire Bible. That sets the tone of the creator and the provider and the sustainer found within the whole Bible. Uh, in this particular chapters, you find the creation of marriage. It shows God is superior to, uh, to mankind. The book of Genesis shows us the origin of heaven and earth, the foundations of truth, the relationship of the creator and his creation. This relationship is central to the theme of the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis. 
Man was made in the image of God in order to walk with God and serve Him. After the fall of man, proof was given to show the complete failures of man and man's need for the grace of God. The book of Genesis is known by some as a part of the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's the five-fold volume of laws that the, the uh, Israelite nation lived under. Its human penman was Moses. It deals with about 2,500 years of history. It has two great divisions. There are four greats. Chapters 1 through 11, there are four great events. Creation, the fall of man, the flood, and the splitting of the nations and languages. In chapter 12 through 50, you have four great people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So as we are looking at this book, we, we begin to see how it breaks apart. Uh, Genesis is not a science book, nor is it a history book, nor is it anything other than an inspired book of God. But where it touches science, where it touches math, where it touches history, those things are 100% accurate. Without the beginning book, the Bible would be incomplete and never make a lot of sense. Christ is mentioned throughout this book, and the first foreshadowing of Christ begins in the third chapter, 15th verse. Here's some notable lessons. One, salvation comes from an act of faith. Two, there's a lesson in the rainbow. That is, God will not destroy the earth with water again. Three, the law of exclusions. When God has excluded anything, or when God has specified something in His command, He excludes everything else. God's provision for man in marriage. God's provision for man in life. God's provision for man in salvation. Noah's family in the beginning of the races. Man's failure to rely on God. And also seen in the book of Genesis is the goodness and the severity of God. Now, each week we'll go over those uh, outlines that way in order to understand how they sort of fit together. And we will begin this in Hebrews chapter 17 through 20. This is where I want to start when we look at Genesis. In Hebrews, that sounds like a really good idea, doesn't it? As you turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 17 verses, or chapter 11, verse 17 through 20, we're going to ask the question this. Why is Isaac mentioned here? In these four verses, why, why is he here? When, when you and I look at the, the study of Hebrews, especially the first six verses, we understand what faith is and how it works. We understand that the faith our faith is the, ev the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you and I look at the word substance in the original, what it means there is subflooring. It's the, it's the skeleton under which we put our nice flooring. It's the substance. It's what you stand on that's beneath us. And faith is also that evidence, that proof of things that we don't uh, and cannot speak of because of when we were born or even where we were born. And without faith, we find in verse 6 that it is impossible to please God. And as you look through this particular chapter, you find all sorts of faithful men. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham left. By faith, Sarah followed. By faith, Moses led. By faith, walls, walls fell. You know, every other point in time in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see by faith, a person did this or that, except for this one. Except for this one. By faith, an inanimate object called the walls fail. Do the, do the walls have faith? By the faith of the Israelite army, the walls of Jericho fail. By faith, the waters parted. What about Isaac? 
How does he fit into this? Matter of fact, when you and I read about him in those four verses, we don't really read anything about him that he did that was... I hate to make this statement this way, but I'm going to. We don't really read anything that he did that's so wonderful. I mean, Noah built a boat. Abraham left where he was raised. Sarah followed. Moses led the nation of Israel out of captivity and then, then to the nation or to the Mount of Sinai and got that, uh, those Ten Commandments and began to, uh, to, to uh, impart that civil law that God would have them learn by. And Isaac really didn't do much. Did he? Well, let's take a gander at this, this one. Isaac is the father of a few things. And what we're going to learn over these next four verses and through the book of, of Genesis is he had the proper reaction. Let's start this way. Raise your hand if you've ever had the improper reaction. Don't leave me up here by myself. It might be easier to do this. Raise your hand if you never have. Sometimes our reaction is terrible. Sometimes what, what we automatically come out with, our spinal reaction, is, is terrible. But Isaac, as we read about him in, in Hebrews and in Genesis, we never see him overreact. We never see him underreact. And our reactions tend to get us in trouble that way. Let's take a few moments and notice the father of two nations, uh, the one who is the father or the well digger, and then the sacrifice. Let's start with the father of two nations, if I can press the right button. There he is. Genesis chapter 21, verses 28 through, or 21 through 28, 25, 21 through 28, is the beginning of Israel and Edom. Isaac is told that within his wife's belly are two states, two nations. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Oh, what God would more accurately in our minds be saying here is the feral heads of two nations. These are going to be the two boys that start these two nations. They're going to be Jacob and Esau. It's going to be the, the Israelites and the Edomites. You ever read about the Edomites? Yeah, they were always button heads, weren't they? they? They always had problems. They particularly had them from the womb. Remember how these two twins came out? Jacob, the, the father of Israel, comes out second and he's holding on to the heel of Esau. Jacob's name, who means subplanter or trickster or deceiver. You have the beginning of two nations. And its father is seen in Genesis chapter 25. And Jacob and Esau, God would mention, Jacob, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated. Many times that gives people a lot of problems because they would see God as strictly God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. And that is the case. Our problem with Jacob, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated, is the Esau part, isn't it? Generally, we don't understand that phrase very well. It would be more of 
Jacob have I preferred, and he will be the line through which Christ comes. And Esau is one that I love less. That is, he is not the one who is preferred. He is not the one through whom the Christ will come. And as you and I look at them, Jacob and Esau are as different as night and day. We see one, Esau, the older brother, who's hairy. And I mean a little bit hairy, I mean a lot hairy. And, and, and he's, have your kids ever been outside so long they smell like outside? That's the smell of Esau. He smells like outside. He, he is a hunter. He is, he is that guy. He loves to go out. He is the opposite of me. I don't go hunting. You know why that is, John? It's too early. You got to be too quiet. And it's too cold. I don't do any of those things well. But Esau does. That's what he enjoys. And so when Isaac is speaking to him on his last days, he says, Bring to me some of the food that I like. And then the contradiction here is Jacob, whose name will later be Israel. He likes things um, that the Bible would say would be around the house. Not that he is effeminate in any way. Uh, the idea of around the house was tending to the flock animals. So he finds himself being out tending to the flock while Esau finds himself being out hunting and providing for that food. We see Isaac growing old. We see his time of death. And there's a blessing that has to pass from one to the other. And the blessing that we look at and we think about, uh, many times we think about the material blessings perhaps that we would see in the parable of uh, the lost son. You know, the two-thirds of the money went to the older brother, one-third to the younger. We, we think of that, but, but the blessing that's going to be passed is going to be such a, a different blessing that is more important and more valuable than all the money that Isaac had. As he receives this blessing, as Jacob receives Esau's blessing, because he was the second born and not first, the blessing was being the spiritual head of the household. Remember, this is the patriarchal age to which God speaks to those men. And because he, uh, Jacob is preferred, he gets that preferential blessing. Don't think just because Isaac or Jacob is, is uh, second that, that God can't use him. Abraham was second. His older brother, Aaron. Isaac was second. He had an older brother, Ishmael. Remember him? Yeah. Most people that you and I will read about in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, uh, were seconds. People that no one would ever even think about. And yet this blessing that was given to this second son here uh, was such importance that, uh, that he has the obligation to have God speak to him and correct this nation through him. Isaac was placed in the faithful hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11 because he gave the proper blessing to the proper child 
even though we may not see that through our human eyes. And that carried on the promise of God. You notice, when he gave that blessing away, he didn't react or overreact or underreact. The one who deserved the blessing got that blessing. Let's move from this father of many nations to a well digger. How many of you have ever been to the desert? Anybody? Either ours or someone else's? Uh, the desert is hot and dry. And you will die quickly without water. And so as Isaac moves into this particular phase of his life, after he gets that blessing and they, they split ways, Isaac and, or Jacob and Esau, uh, water is very important. It's very important for anyone in a desert climate. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the necessity of life. Can you imagine living in the desert, first of all? We live in a, a very lush place that has greenery all around us, and seemingly every day it gets greener and greener and greener, and we love to see those things. We live around lakes with an S, and fresh water is abundant to us. How many of you can go into your kitchen right now and just flip that little knob and water will just pour out? Oh yeah, you can have all of it you want. Can you imagine living in that place without water? The... The search for water in Genesis chapter 26, verse 17 through 22, is imperative for the salvation of his family. It's necessary. He, they can't get along without it. There's not a lake around there. They're going to have to find these underwater springs, and they're going to have to dig for that water. They're going to have to make that water count. And we see in Gerar where he digs a well finds a spring underground and digs it back and, and it fortifies that well so that the, the walls don't collapse in on itself, much like this picture that would be here. And that's not where Jesus met the woman at the well, even though she references him, Isaac, in that. Notice where she meets him. See, there was a fight over the well at Gerar. And Isaac has a choice right here. Does he stay and fight? Or does he give up that well and just build another well? Well, if you can read down our little bullet points there a moment, you'll find out that he didn't fight. He gave them the well, moved away from it, and went and built another well at Sanaa. He built that well. And guess what? Another fight. So his question comes up. Do I fight for this well? Since I already gave up the first well. Or do I back away from it? And contentions arise again and he leaves. Finds himself at Rehoboth. Now when he's at Rehoboth, some contentions come up too. And I can only think in my mind that Isaac says... You know what? I've given up two of them. I'm about done running away. And so they fought for it and kept Rehoboth. Rehoboth means open space. It's where the, um, 
men and women who find themselves being hunted and haunted by the Jews, those Samaritans, where they find themselves. God made a place for this family around this particular well. But why? Why not fight for the first two wells? Why just give up? Is God teaching me here that I'm supposed to just give up and not fight for what is right and and valuable and truthful and honest? Well, how quickly does the church fall by the wayside if we don't stand up for what is true? Why did Isaac not do that? Why did he not stick up for his family? God's not teaching us at all that we should not fight for the truth. When we fight for the truth, what we need to, to do and how we need to fight for that is the same way Isaac did. And we're going to have to count the cost. As here's the cost of it. And we're not dealing with truth here. You stand up for truth uh, to the bitter end. The truth is the truth no matter who says what about it. Let's put ourselves back here in the well. You have to count the cost of that. Is it more valuable to fight? Is it worth the fight? Will it help the kingdom grow? Or will it push the kingdom further back? Will it help me as a child of God grow? Will it push me further back? And then one of the best questions you can ask yourself is, why am I fighting this? You see, sometimes we fight things so that people will know who we are. That's not going to get it. We can't fight for that reason. We have to fight for the, the truth, and we have to fight for what is upright and holy via God, not so that people will know who I am or what I can do. And once again, as you and I look at the well digger, just as we looked at the father, you know, he didn't overreact. He didn't underreact. He just moved to the next well. And then we find him as the sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22. Isaac was the father that he was. And the well digger that he was because of Genesis 22. Because of being the sacrifice. Genesis chapter 2 is the first time in the Bible that the word worship is used. And the word love, by the way. First time that's used in the Bible. found in Genesis Chapter 22, where Abraham is told, take Isaac, your only begotten, the one that you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. That conversation happening unbeknownst to Isaac takes place three days before the journey up the hill. Josephus would say, And we don't have any idea, but perhaps he's right. Josephus would say he, Isaac, is about 25 years old. 
How many of you ever think of Isaac being offered as being eight or ten? Me too. But there are going to be a few things that happen in Genesis chapter 22 that would let us know that he's going to be much older than that. Notice some of these things. Well, first of all, let's notice human sacrifice is never uh, sanctioned by God. And we noticed that, that a little bit earlier this morning. Uh, we find that the nation of Israel being almost blasted out of the water by God because of their offering of children to Molech, that God. And throughout these particular verses found uh, within the Old Testament, God would never qualify human sacrifice. But on this account, why? Why let him? As you and I study further, here's what we see. This son, who's probably about 25, Josephus would say, split the wood for the sacrifice, Genesis 22. Carried that wood up the hill for the sacrifice and fully had a conversation with his father, understanding why they are, are worshiping and whom they are worshiping. So I have to look at it and say, he's got to be a little older than eight or ten, the way I think. And we find him Understanding the role of sacrifice. Now, I want you to put a pen right there for just a moment and look at the other side of the page. Abraham finds himself having to sacrifice his son. His only begotten son, the one that he loves, Isaac. For no other reason other than God said, do it. Now, when you and I look at Isaac's life and we look at Jesus' life, the similarities there are uncanny. We'll start with the father. In Abraham's eyes, Isaac was dead. And dead three days. Can you imagine going up that hill and every step getting your feet getting heavier and heavier and you're wanting to stop and turn around because you know what's going to happen at the top of that hill? Both Jesus and Isaac had a miraculous conception. You don't think that's miraculous? Raise your hand if you want to be pregnant at 90. The end. Both of them were the only sons. As God would mention that about Isaac, he was not the only son of Abraham, but he was the only one Abraham had at that time. and He's the only one Abraham would regard. Jesus the Christ was the only son of, of God. Both of them carried the wood on which they would be sacrificed. carried that wood up that hill to build that fire. Jesus the Christ carried that cross member up that hill to be nailed to it. Interestingly, Isaac and Jesus both have one bride. You'll read about Abraham, you'll read about this man, that man, this other man in the Old Testament, and maybe they have one, maybe they have more than one, but Isaac had one and only one. Jesus has one. 
and only one. When we begin to look at the sacrifice and how those things are made and who is sacrificed, we begin to see the uncanny nature of that scarlet thread that will begin to run from Genesis through Revelation that points us back to Jesus every single time. You want to see by faith Abraham, even though it's not mentioned? He finds himself standing over his son after an altar is made, and that altar may not have been very high, probably just a few stones high, enough to get that wood off of the ground and burn properly, have some air underneath it so it would burn hot. Have his son tied up, bound. I don't know if he's bound all the way down like... The, the woman on the train track from the old cartoons, you know her, who's bound from her neck all the way down to her feet. I don't know if he's bound just by his hands and his feet. He's bound and he can't move. And it would be his father who would stand over him and he would look up at him. And that father would raise that knife as high as he could looking at that targeted zone where he's about to plunge this knife into the chest or the neck of his own son. And at the point at which Abraham is ready and all of those mus muscles tensing, tension up and some relax so that he can start the descent down to plunge this knife into this boy, he stopped. Now, as we look at that, we see and clearly see the faith of Abraham, willing to offer a son, willing to do whatever it is God said in order to be faithful to God, knowing full well God will raise his son, How much faith does it, stay, does it take to stay on that altar? Faith in God? Absolutely. Faith in your own father? Absolutely. What if God would have never stopped him? Well, what if? When we look at Isaac, we see a man who was the father of two nations. And he blessed the right boy. We see a man who was a well digger. He learned how to fight. Or how to fight properly. And it's all shaped by this event on this mountain. Faithlessness, according to Hebrews chapter 11, is based on on what we do or don't do. It's also based on how we react or overreact or underreact. 
You see, sometimes we, we blow up too quickly. And sometimes, as the late Brother Cates would say, we need to get a little white foam around our mouth and be aggravated about something. You ever heard those old, older men pray? And they pray, forgive us of the sins of commission and omission. Forgive us of the things that we have done or the things that we should have done. Faithfulness is based on what we do and how we react. And so as we look through the book of Genesis through Hebrews 11, do you act like Isaac? More importantly, do you act like Christ? You say, yes, I act like Christ. I've, I've done what, what God has said to do in the way he said to do it. How about this? Do you react the same way? Do you react in the way that Christ reacted? How many times would Jesus not say anything? How many times... And this answer is two, at least. Would Jesus flip over tables? Learn the lesson that reaction and how we react is just as important as what we do and how we live on this earth. That is, if our plan is to be faithful to God. If not, and we want to react however we want to react, and we want to live however we want to live, then that's possible too. It just won't get us to that heavenly home. You're going to have to believe what God has said. You're going to have to repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. You're going to have to put on Christ in baptism to become God's child. To have the blessings of heaven. And, at that same point in time, you and I are going to have to live lives of action and reaction that would benefit the kingdom and glorify God. And if you've not done either one of those, then it's, it's time to come. Come to God, laying all of your guilt and sin down. Become His child and His faithful child. Right now, while we stand and while we sing.